Our second Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 19, verse 13 to 15. Uh, you can follow on the screen my back here. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hand on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, let the, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belonged to such as these. When he had placed his hand on them, he went on from there. This is God's word. Well, good morning. My name's John. It's um, nice to have you join us. And a warm welcome again to those of you who are here for the very first time. I am looking forward to eat and share later today. If you're coming to my place and you're still stuck for ideas on what to bring, uh, seafood is not too bad, prawns and lobster, a little bit of caviar, not too much. But it's not too late. You have, if you haven't signed up, uh, do, do sign up later would, afterwards. Uh, but I'm excited about studying and reflecting on this passage with you in Matthew 19. Let's, let's turn to God for prayer and ask him for his help. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we reflect on on only these few verses, help us see in it the heart of Jesus for children. And we pray, Lord, that you'll produce that heart in us as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may have heard of the story of compassion and how it all started in the very beginning. It's a very moving story, and if you've heard it before, it is worth hearing again being Compassion Sunday. It was the 1950s. And the country of Korea was ravaged and devastated by the Korean War. Because of that war, two and a half million people were killed. It left 10 million people displaced. And so you can just imagine, 1950s, millions of people displaced. And millions, so many of those, are children left orphans because their parents were killed in the war. Thousands and thousands trying to fend off the cold at night, trying to just survive. And so you can just imagine how difficult of a time that was, a place ravaged by war. And in 1952, an American evangelist from Chicago, a Presbyterian minister by the name of Everett Swanson, he was invited to preach in Korea to these disheartened soldiers. And while he was there, he went out one night to the restaurant to eat, but a little boy stole his coat and ran away with it. And so this big American, he went chasing after this kid. And eventually, running through the war-torn streets, he finds his coat on the floor in a room. He takes up and lifts up his coat. And what does he find? The boy shivering away under it, just fending off the cold. And as he looked around in that room, he saw other rugs and coats. And under each one were children trying to stay warm. What would you do if that was what you saw? Well, Reverend Swanson, with compassion, went back to the restaurant, got some soup, went back there, fed the kids. But that very night, he couldn't sleep. And of course you can't. You can't unsee what you just saw. And so he got up really early in the morning, went back to the same place where he saw those kids under those rugs. And early in the morning, 
there was a big truck with soldiers, and they were throwing these rugs and coats onto the trucks. But of course, they were not just rugs and coats. They were also the children who did not make it through the night. And every morning, that's what these trucks would do. Lift up these children who did not make it. Reverend Swanson, so devastated by what he saw, his heart so broken and so full, and of course you would be. How can you not? When he got back to Chicago, he told his friend of the horror of it all. His friend gave him $1,000. You do something about this. And so Reverend Swanson, he went back, and eventually, by 1960, he built 170 orphanages. 22,000 war orphans were saved, and that was the beginning of Compassion International. Now, I want to ask you, what was it that was pulling at his heartstrings to make him do such a thing? To love those who are not loved, to remember those who are forgotten, to help those whom there was no help, to provide for those who could not provide for themselves, but above all, to bring them to Jesus, otherwise they would not have known him. What was it that led him to do such a thing? Well, it's simply understanding a passage like this. Understanding a passage like this and understanding the heart of Jesus in this. Now, perhaps before we have a look at this passage, I want to give you two caveats, and I want you to hear this. Because this morning, Compassion Sunday, it can feel very emotive, but I want you to hear these two caveats. The first one is this. This is not a sermon that is trying to guilt us into doing something we do not want to do. I want you to hear that. Because that would just be insincere. We are all at different stages of life with different commitments and different responsibilities. And so I want you to hear this is not a guilt treatment type of sermon. Instead, if we are to do anything... Let that be out of the overflow of the love of Jesus in us and the opportunity Jesus provides us. That's the first caveat I want you to hear. The second one is this. This is not a sermon that says sponsoring children is the only way of showing the love of Christ. Of course it's not. We show the love of Christ in many, many, many ways and we see it every day. We see it all the time in our church family. And you show this very often. I mean, there are those of you who already give, already sponsor children, already give to different causes for the sake of Christ out of the overflow of the love of Christ in you. There are many of you who show warm hospitality, meals, but even allowing people to stay and live with you because you care and you love for those who are desperate and in need. There are those of you I know in our church family who have been supporting financially those who are finding it tough. And so I want you to hear, we show the love of Christ in many, many and various ways. It is not the only way. But the reason why our missions team here at church, and the elders thought it was a brilliant idea for our church to be thinking about this today, it is so that we can be made aware of the desperate plight of so, so many in the world. Did you know 
that there are 385 million children living in extreme poverty. I want you to hear that number again. 385 million. That's 15 times the whole entire population of Australia living in extreme poverty. I mean, that's just mind-boggling. And many of them do not know Jesus. And so when you hear that, what does it do to your heart? I mean, to see one child, only one child suffer, go days without food, live in a place of filth and stench, not having a school to go to, not having new clothes, all torn and broken, even just one child. I mean, that would break your heart already, wouldn't it? But here we're talking about millions. And so what does it do to your heart? I'm so glad many of you, in fact, already sponsored children. And so it's not a new thing to us. And I'm so glad we got to hear from Amy and Mel. But perhaps as a personal testimony, we as a family, after Bible college, after coming back to Melbourne and after settling here, recognizing that God has blessed us with so much, and knowing that our family, our three kids, this is our family, we thought, can we do more in service of God and out of our love for God? And so back in 2013, about eight years ago, we sponsored a child from Burkina Faso. His name is Isahaka. We pray for him almost every mealtime. And we did that not because we thought we are any better, but we counted a privilege that God might use us to change one other life. And in sharing that testimony, not to blow any trumpets at all, no trumpet to be blown, we counted a privilege and any glory belongs to God alone. And so with those caveats, let us look at this passage. What we see here is not a very complicated passage. Only three verses. But what is revealed in this passage is the heart of Jesus for children. You see, when we look at the response of the disciples, what did they do? I mean, the, the, the response of the disciples towards the children. I suspect that attitude we may not see all that commonly today. But it wasn't really so long ago that you've heard the idiom or the saying, children are to be seen but not heard. Remember hearing that? You're meant to only see children but not heard. So, you know, kids, stop you know, chit-chatting and all that. You're to be seen, not heard. And I suspect many of us grew up with that type of attitude. Any one of us? I see some hands, and that probably speaks of your age. So, but it wasn't too long ago that children, that was the expectation. You know, children, you have to show manners and respect to all those who are older than you. At school, teachers, you're not on first-name basis with teachers. Back then, it was sir or ma'am or miss or miss. You don't interrupt adults when they speak. At the table, there's proper table manners, etiquette. You don't whinge and complain about your broccoli. You eat it, you'd be thankful. But today, oh man, what a different world we live in. I remember even growing up in my family gathering, the big family gathering, you had the table for the adults. And then you had the table for the children. And so I sat at the children's table knowing my place. But even today now as an adult, I still want to sit at a children's table because that's more fun anyway, these adults. But you see, children, in many cultures still, seen but not heard. But of course today, in many parts, at least in the Western world, it's gone too far the other way. I'm not sure if you realize that. 
Children now become the center of family life, the center of tension, and they get to dictate what the family does. And, and so rather than being seen and not heard, I heard this line from one of our elders, they are now to be heard and obeyed. That's too much. And that's perhaps another sermon to complain about another time. But in this passage, in the ancient Greco-Roman world, the children were to be seen and not heard. They had no status, no privileges, no rights, no possessions in society. They did not matter as much as adults. And so you don't interrupt adults when they're talking, especially the very important ones. And that's the scene we find ourselves. Parents wanting to bring their children along to Jesus. Jesus, can you bless my child? Can you pray for my child? And what happens? Well, the disciples thought Jesus is far too important to bother with these children, to be fiddling or talking with them, these naughty kids. And so we see in verse 13, Then children were brought to him so he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. Now, we're not exactly sure the disciples were perhaps not only rebuking the parents, you parents, what are you doing? But they were perhaps also telling of these kids, get your sticky hands off our master. But of course, they assumed so wrong. They stopped the children coming to Jesus. They assumed Jesus had no time for them. But they got it so wrong, didn't they? But now I wonder whether that is a point worth reflecting on even there, on our attitude towards children, on our attitude towards children. Perhaps as a church, we, we don't stop children coming to know Jesus, do we? I mean, we have got our crash ministry, our kids' church, our holiday club, our youth group. We want all our children to know Jesus. But again, I want us to reflect what is our attitude towards children? Do we unknowingly or unconsciously act as though they are less important? How many of us, this is a question for you to reflect on, how many of us know the names of the children in our church? How many of us have bothered to speak to the children in our church? When you visit the homes for meals, for lunches, do you speak only to the adults because they're important and the kids, you just stay away? We might do it unknowingly, but perhaps that's reflecting something of our heart's attitude. Or when there is a call to help in crash, in kids' church, in youth group, do we put our hand up for that? Or do we say, well, that's kids' ministry. I want to deal with adults' ministry. You see, before I became a pastor, I remember being taught, you have no right to preach at the pulpit if you will not bend your knee and teach in creche. Such an important lesson. And so at my previous church, one of the joys of ministry I had back in my previous church was that Yvonne and myself, we were involved in looking after the creche. And it was such a privilege, such a joy. And so perhaps that's a question for us to reflect on already. Towards children, what is our attitude? Towards those who are shunned or marginalized by society, what is our attitude? Is it all at all possible 
that even unknowingly we might be behaving a bit like the disciples here. Well, let's move on. Instead of children being seen and not heard, Jesus, he teaches. He reflects on what he says, his heart towards children. And not just the children, in fact. What we see later on is that Jesus' heart is towards all those who are marginalized and set aside. We see the heart of Jesus towards children, and they are all to be welcomed and blessed, not pushed away. Not shunned away, but welcomed and blessed. Verse 14, Jesus says, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. And so Jesus, with open arms, let the children come. I've got all the time in the world for the little ones, for the ones with snotty nose and sticky fingers. Let them come. Because look at what Jesus says next. Verse 14 still. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Well, what Jesus meant was that what Jesus had on offer, the blessing Jesus has to offer, is nothing less than the kingdom of God. What Jesus has on offer is nothing less than the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about heaven here. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about sins forgiven. But even more breathtaking, it is to have a personal, deep, intimate relationship with God the Father. That the God of the universe will want to know you and will want you to be with him forever. But notice in the verse it says, For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now what does what that does not mean is that children belong to the kingdom of heaven because they are innocent and pure. Often we like to think that children are innocent. That's not what Jesus meant here. That would be to get it wrong. I mean, you show me an innocent child and I'll show you a round square. You just don't find an innocent child. Why? Well, those of us who are parents, we know all too well, right? You don't need to teach a child to be selfish, but they'll naturally become selfish. And so what's the point Jesus is making here? Not that the kingdom of heaven belongs to the innocent, but that it belongs to those just like children as they were desperately trying to get to Jesus. Those children who show complete, utter, humble dependence to receive what they cannot contribute to get what they cannot pay, to accept with nothing to prove. The blessing of Jesus is for such as these. And so do you see the lesson Jesus was doing here, teaching here? He was talking more than just children, more than just welcoming children, but he was making a point beyond the children, to all the weak and the vulnerable and the powerless, and the broken, and the low, and the down and trodden, and the outcasts, to people like you and me. The type of attitude that gets anyone into heaven is not innocence, is not self-sufficiency. I can't get there myself. Instead, it is just like a child, complete, utter, humble dependence. And so today we're talking about children. And though we're talking about children, 
perhaps you need to hear today, it's not simply a day about what we can do about children. I want you to remember that. It's not a day about, like, let's, let's think about how good we are and how privileged we are to see what we can do for children. But what God has already done for us in his son, Jesus Christ. I can't earn salvation, but Jesus paid for it. I can't get into heaven, but Jesus freely gives it. I cling to Jesus like a child. I cling to his death and resurrection. Just like that hymn, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to you for dress. Helpless, look to you for grace. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And Jesus, after putting his hands on them, he went on from there. But now the question turns on us. And the question I asked at the beginning, what is your heart like? Do I reflect the attitude of the disciples or do I reflect the heart of Jesus? You see, Reverend Swanson, he was acting in the way that Jesus acted, just like any ordinary Christian would. And if we are to be like him, who have ourselves experienced the welcome and warm embrace of Jesus, how is it not possible that we do not want to see more people experience what we already have, especially if we have been blessed so much, not only spiritually, but materially. And of course, here in Australia, we're amongst the richest in the world. And so what is your heart like? I think it may be fair to say that not one of us, I don't know any one of us who would be like the disciples and hinder any child coming to Jesus. But how many of us will be active in bringing children to Jesus? Not just thinking we won't hinder, but active, intentional, purposeful, prayerful in bringing children to Jesus. If Jesus came from heaven to earth, from glory to the depths of hell, expending not mere money, but his own blood so that we can be with God. And if that is the extent of the love of the Savior, surely it must be pulling at our own heartstrings. I mean, when we hear these stories of millions of children, it's just a bit overwhelming. It's a bit like it's over the top. Children who woke up this morning, not like us, and not have a nice warm breakfast or clean water, Children who walk the streets and you see sewage just flowing down the side. Children who get sick but there's no medication. Children who want to learn, go to school but not have the opportunity. Children who desire and long and desperately want to know Jesus but don't get that chance. Can I be used by God to change the life of just one child? Now, we heard from Matthew before. He spoke of the possibility, as our church prays for this region, this place in Bali, for the churches there, for the children there, there may be that possibilities down the track for you know, some of us to go visit and see what happens there and to pray with them, like a short-term mission. 
But we chose Bali not because it was a holiday destination. You heard from Amy and Mao already. I visited Bali after Bible college. It was indulgent somewhat. But like Mao, I was so torn. I, was, I actually did not enjoy Bali. Hard to believe. Because the villa we stayed at, these maids who cooked for us, all our leftover food, they took that home and that became the meal for their families. How could I be satisfied with that? How could I not be torn by that? And so that is a place that is ravaged by extreme poverty. But we do pray for this area. We want to focus on this area. And hopefully one day there may be some of us who will visit that area. But do you know what I'm looking forward to even more so? And we pray this, that in the mercy of God, if we are to sponsor any, it will be to see them maybe in Bali, but it will be to see them around the throne of Christ in glory. And God used us for that cause. Isn't that a privilege? Let's pray. Oh Lord God, please do grant us and shape us and mould us such that our hearts might reflect that of your dear Son, a heart that loves like Jesus did, longing and desiring that children will be blessed by him. And so help us, we pray, help us to never forget those far less fortunate than us. But we pray, Lord, for your mercy upon them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.